Truly is a blessing and honor to be able to come together to worship God in spirit and in truth. We are indeed very thankful for the presence of each and every one of you who have, has chosen to come together and form the body of Christ in this place. This evening I've chosen to speak on something that I feel is, of course, true, but very important. And I feel like the time has come that we can discuss these things in a rational way, and I want us to do that tonight. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and verse 25, the Bible says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. This evening I want to talk about the Christian and divine commands. Now, I have a lesson on the Christian and government, and this may touch a little bit of that idea. Uh, people have studied that and have presented that, I should say, uh, at different times. Maybe you've considered what I am about to say as well. But here is where this all comes down as far as I'm concerned. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 is either a divine command or it is not. If it is a divine command, nobody vetoes it. Nobody. And this says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Now, the word forsaking, some people point out, uh, that can mean a total abandonment. And we're not doing that. And you know what we come through. Uh, there were some strange things out of Zion that were being taught and spread and frankly, uh, incorrect. And it caught hold because of fear, uh, because some were afraid of uh, one thing or another, but uh, we began to find some excuses that it would be all right. And to miss a Sunday or two uh, because uh, uh, we might have come in contact with someone who came in contact with somebody that uh, knew someone who had contacted COVID, uh, that's about how ludicrous some of it became. Oh, we were fine to go to Walmart, but we couldn't risk killing somebody at church. I don't believe we were rationally thinking at the time because some of the things in the reasoning given, frankly, was way beneath us. Absolutely wrong. But the word forsake, even though it can mean abandon, it doesn't have to mean abandon. It can mean one time. In Matthew 27, verse 46, the Bible says, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This was a br very brief moment, a short period of time, but it's the very same word in the Greek and English used for forsake. So it didn't have to be that the father completely forever abandoned the son, but he forsook him for a short time. Now, I know that there's some new things being taught on this. And I've said that before, and I guess one brother that felt necessary to teach on this at home uh, talked about that 
Matthew 27, 46, believing it as God states it by the Holy Spirit here, uh, that's new. And the old uh, teaching was that he didn't really abandon the son. He didn't really forsake the son here. And he said that goes all the way back to 600s. And I'm thinking, that's not new. That's not old. If that qualifies for being old, so does instrumental music. And so we could go back and say a cappella commanding to sing a cappella. That's new because I can read of instrumental music in the 600s. But I can read of Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me in the first century? First century. Now, some people say that that's not what this means. It doesn't mean what it says, what anybody with a third grade education would understand just reading it and understand that this is what's happening. But educated people find a reason. Now, I want to say, and I'm trying to be as gentle as I know how to be because I don't want, it's not like beating people up or kicking anybody while they're down, but we've got to be able to address these issues. And in the heat of the battle, in the, in the time of panic, that was not the time. People were not thinking rationally. Now, we're not in that. So let's have this discussion. Let's look at what the scriptures say. And I want to say, I'm going to say this with all the love in my heart. I'm not saying that people are serving Satan who teach this. I am saying it is possible that Satan is using brethren to get rid of Matthew 27, 46 without realizing it's really about Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Because if Matthew 27, 46 is taken out, taken away, then the forsaking the assembly, we would now be free, as long as we don't totally abandon the church, we can go on vacation anywhere we want to, and we miss a Sunday here, miss a Sunday there, it's no big deal because we have no intentions, and God knows our heart, and we're not abandoning the faith. But I want you to think about, and this is just what this reminds me of, not accusing anybody. Listen, I really don't mean to be sounding like I'm accusing people. Jesus told Peter one time, get behind me, Satan. Okay, Satan was using Peter without Peter's knowledge. That's the type of thing that I'm referring to without people knowing. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You'll not surely die. That's not what that means. You won't die. But in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, 
And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. The reason I'm pointing this out is because Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 is a divine command. If, if we decide it's not, if we become convinced that it's not, then none of this that I'm saying has any importance. And we can uh, take that however we want to, I guess, and go with any other thing else that's written in here. But if we believe that God's word is still God's word, that it was in fact inspired by the Holy Spirit, that it is as authoritative today as it was when it was penned, and I believe we believe that. I know we used to. Then we need to take care of how we treat it. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We know exactly how he works. We may not see it at a moment, but we are told to meet on the first day of the week. That's a divine command. And we find examples approved of people doing that with God's blessings. Acts 20 and verse 7. Now on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Before I get away from Matthew 27. Uh, yeah, I'm aware of Psalm 22. I know it's there. I've read it. And I'll tell you something about it. It's prophetic. It's prophetic. And there's something about prophetic language. It doesn't always follow chronological order. In fact, if you read that through and you try to apply that to Matthew 27, you're going to find some of this down here that was before this. And this was down here then. And this down here was way back over there. Some of it because it talks about casting lots for the garments. Matthew 27, that's before Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? The part about him praying later on, I believe refers back to the garden, not on the cross. Refers back to him praying and he was answered. But God said no. And then it talks about the church and the body of Christ and how that, that's how it's applied because I will never leave you. I'll not forsake you. He's talking to Christians. Where does my help come from? It comes from heaven. Hebrews 13 tells us and so forth. Now, here's the thing. Yes, I've studied Psalm 22 also. Let me just say, okay. I'm not saying I'm the only one that knows the truth. I believe a lot of people know the truth on this. And I'm not saying that some people are uh, uneducated or not studious enough. I'm simply saying that there is some something else because taking away Matthew 27's account of my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, removing that from the church's view on that, what danger are you protecting the church from? What danger is there in, in anybody misunderstanding and think that does in fact mean that for that moment of time God turned his back on the sun what does that tear up now I've heard some people say think, I, I don't want to go there but they bring up a subject that has just 
It's man-made. I'll just give you this much. They talk about breaking the Trinity. Trinity is a Catholic-invented term. That's not Bible. There are three in the Godhead. That's not the doctrine of the Trinity. And so it didn't break something that never existed for a few hundred more years. Besides that, just think about it. There's the divine race. There's the human race. If I turned around, turned my back to you and even my children or my son, he would still be just as human as he was before I turned around. He would still be just as much my son as he was before I turned around. It didn't break the human race. It didn't break the divine race when the father turned his back on the son for this moment. Going back to Genesis quickly. Did that take place? Did they die? You remember the old sermons we've heard all of our lives? They didn't die physically immediately that day, but they died spiritually. They were driven from the presence of God. And momentarily, Jesus paid that price for sin, not his own. Isaiah still says, he laid on him the iniquity of us all. And the father showed his separation in paying that. And so we can sing, Jesus paid it all. He didn't just die. He didn't just shed his blood. He experienced briefly being separated from God. In reading Commentary's own Psalms 22, there's a lot of views on it. And one is, did David write it because Jesus was going to say it, or did Jesus say it because David wrote it? I watched a video to get some ideas of that particular doctrine on this. And he says, that was a psalm that thousands had sung for thousands of years. It shouldn't be surprising that it would have been on the Lord's mind. Well, if that's the case, the part about casting lots for the garments was prior to this in Matthew 27. So maybe the soldiers started off with that verse and were singing it. But I'll tell you something, Jesus was not singing. The word said with, cried out with a loud voice can be translated screamed. And all of his scourging, he never screamed. And to somehow come up with the idea that he's now about to die and he decides to sing a hymn or sing a song when the Bible says he screamed it, it doesn't make any sense. There are plenty of ways of expressing singing and that word is not one of them. So then is Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 still binding? Do we still claim it? to be a binding command, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. I believe that it is. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2 talks about the collection is done on the first day of the week. Acts 20 and 7, the breaking of bread is done on the first day of the week. 
So let's look at, as we go on into the lesson now, let's look at legitimate exceptions to that law. Well, first, obviously, if we're dead, right? You're not held to that. Uh, if we are too sick to make it, too sick to work, genuinely sick, I'm not saying, well, I think I feel a headache coming on. Great examples of our brethren. Now I think of my dad who almost lived with mig a migraine headache and for many years would have to speak when he was in such a migraine, he would have to speak from memory and quote the verses from memory because his vision was blurred. What an example. My dad would say, I don't feel any worse here than I would at home. You know, that doesn't need to be a dying breed. Those are things to be emulated, to follow, to seek after. So if we're genuinely too sick, or if circumstances make it impossible to get there, things like flooding or snow or we're in prison or around the Isle Patmos abandoned, Revelation 1 and 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, John said, on the island. And Acts 16, verses 22 through 25, Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And there were some conversions because of that. Do you know, there were people converted during COVID by faithful brethren meeting when the denominations shut down and some people wanted to worship and they found one of our congregations meeting and began to meet with them and they were converted. We never had a time when we could have been a brighter lighted city on a hill than that moment of the deepest darkness some of us have faced and the challenges that we uh, faced. And so it was a great opportunity Paul and Silas are singing in prison. That's the best they can do. And they could have escaped. And they said, oh, we're still here. Don't do yourself any harm. And that jailer wanted to know more about it and became a Christian. Non-legitimate excuses. Jobs, family, and recreation. What about our jobs? Matthew 6, 30, verse 33. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Don't worry about food 
and clothing. God's got your back. And He'll not let you down. Another non-legitimate, as I mentioned, what about family and friends or neighbors? Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. John 14 and 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Why am I talking about this? There were people, maybe still saying it, I don't know. It claimed, I guess nobody likes to be called a coward. Nobody wants to be called a coward. And to say we were afraid is kind of an attack on your manhood maybe. And so instead of saying they were afraid, they called it love. And I just have to tell you, I don't even know what that means. I know what love means because God tells me what love means. Love doesn't mean God... I'm sorry I can't go and and the symbol with the saints today is just that I love you too much to do that. We're not talking about loving God. If it's not about loving God, who do you love ahead of God? John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. 1 John 2, 3 through 4. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. In Matthew 10, verse 37 through 39, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it he who loses his life for my sake shall find it. You know, that's Matthew's way of expressing it. Luke expresses this in Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. You talked about you love too much to obey God. To obey a divine command. If you love me, keep my commandments. You feel like you really want to say out of love you didn't assemble? Love for what? What does it mean? We didn't want to kill somebody. So you were afraid you might kill somebody. That's not love, that's fear. We were afraid that we might have had contact and pass it to the whole congregation. And the whole congregation, the whole church might be wiped out. Whose church is it? Who's the divine protector of the church? Government? Science? Or the Lord? The Lord says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Do we believe that? Recreation. 
2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. What if the government forbids, threatens? Acts 5.29, But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. We are told that only applies to persecution. It doesn't apply to just assembling for worship. They're trying to protect us. We weren't being persecuted. One congregation was told, if you come back next week, we're going to fine everybody $500 apiece. And if you continue, we'll throw you in jail. Something to that effect. That sounds like persecution to me. If we'd have stayed faithful, we'd have been persecuted. There's a good chance of it. Good chance of it. When one brother told me they were going to fine everybody, not just family, but every member, $500. I told him it still sounds cheaper than rocks to me. Ask Stephen. Revelation 2 and 10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. What about the fear of the possibility that something bad might happen? That, that's almost hard to even... Make my mouth say that. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 4. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in yourselves, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. I talked with a brother. I'd heard that they had, done, that they had not met. I wanted to know because I've known the guy since he was a little kid. And I asked him, and he says, yes, for... I don't remember now, at least two weeks, they stayed home. And I said, well, brother, I know you had some options. I know you did, because he's got relatives with a big farm, and they could have met out there safely. Yeah, we considered that, and then uh, someone mentioned that a couple of our members would have had to driven uh, nearly an hour. Man, are you kidding me? You know, I remember John Moslin many years ago talking about, I wish you could have explained that 
to Jesus, maybe about the time he fell beneath the cross, you could run over there and say, Lord, we love you. We appreciate all you're doing for us. We know that this is going to be hurt. It's going to be painful. We appreciate it. But Lord, I want you to know, some of us are going to have to drive in a luxurious car an hour. We sure are easy for Satan sometimes. We make his job so easy. And I worry that because he believes he got a good deal going, we'll probably face this again. And it may be harder. Did you notice the writer of the Hebrew says, you have not resisted to bloodshed. You say, I couldn't help it. How much blood did you lose in that battle? No, I didn't. You mean someone had a gun to your head and was like, no, no. We'd had to drive an hour. I'm sorry, I don't get it. I don't get it. Is that seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Is that putting God ahead of everything in our life? Matthew 10, 28, and do not fear those who kill the body, not threaten, but kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. What about church leaders, elders, teachers, leaders, evangelists, whoever? What if they ask or encourage us not to? Acts 5.29, Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. I don't, I want you to think about it. That means any man. That may be my father. That might be my brother. That might be my preacher. That may be any man. But do we follow men or are we following God? Galatians 1, 6 through 10, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men or God? Or seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. The elders, don't forget, elders can sin. 1 Timothy 5, 19-21, Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Matthew 15, 14, of the leaders of the Jews Jesus says, let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the ditch. Listen, not just blind leaders will be lost. Blind followers will be lost as well. Acts 17 and 11. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether those things were true. Revelation 2, 1 through 3, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, 
who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and you have preserved and have patience and have labored for, for my name's sake and have not become weary. An important point on this, in this discussion that I have not heard anyone else make, and I'm not bragging on me. I don't mean it that way. I, it may have happened. I have not seen it or heard it. Romans 14, 23. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. There were have been that I know of several people including some elders and preachers who have repented of decisions they made and asked for forgiveness. I don't know about you, but that makes me esteem them higher. If a preacher or an elder or anybody else Convince somebody to stay home from the services for some reason. And that person could not do it conscientiously. And suppose, because we were supposing about somebody might get COVID and die and we might be killing somebody. What if they stressed over that and had a heart attack and died? They died in their sin. Because they weren't doing that with faith. And there have been several that have shown that by making confessions. Those of our congregation who stayed home during that biggest scare time, everyone has made a confession and nobody dragged it out of them. They were embarrassed that they, and they realized. Some after the first Sunday, some after a month. But as far as I am aware, the only ones who did not do this have made it right in our home congregation. If you do it with doubt, if you convince somebody to do something against their conscience, Paul says you're causing them to sin. 1 Corinthians 8 and 12 says it this way, but when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. What about ignorance? Acts 17, 30 through 31. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked and now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance to this, of this to all by raising him from the dead. I want you to know that I am not exempt from the COVID issues I've lost people who were very, very dear to me. One, two, and maybe if I think about it, I could come up with more of those who had died, but two who were very close to me died faithful at least. They died of COVID, but they were faithful unto death. And you know, it's still not the only way to die, is it? It wasn't the only way a person could die. And if they died in a condition of 
violating their conscience, they and those who encouraged them to do so would have been guilty of sin. Ephesians 5.17, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Acts 28, 25 through 27. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul and said one, had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our father, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their ears and hear with see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. God has a remedy for sin. First John 1, 8 through 10, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Don't put saving face above saving your soul. What value would that be? Why would anybody who obviously because of fear on some level, none of us wanted to see any of our loved ones die, none of us did. But if any of us were going to die, we sure wanted to die faithful. If you were afraid, what are you losing to just admit it? Everybody's afraid of things. I, I wasn't the bravest guy on the planet. I made this statement from our pulpit. I know without any doubt that God has the power to save me and keep me from getting COVID. I know that. I also know the same level without doubt, he may choose not to protect me from it. And I know beyond any doubt he could keep me from dying from it, but to overcome it, to heal. And I also know he may choose to let me die but I'm not dead yet and no reason to play like it. People stayed home when they were perfectly healthy and didn't know anybody in the whole congregation that had it. We'll all stand before God. We'll all stand before the Lord and give an account of our deeds. But it's not worth protecting your manhood and losing your soul. If you were afraid, so what? Who isn't afraid of something? But if you lie about it, that's even worse. Why lie about it? Like, you're the man on the planet that was scared. No. A lot of us were. I talked to the guy that I mentioned, I talked on the phone. I said, uh, you still go to Walmart? Well, yeah. Do 
makes me remember something that I heard Jerry Cutter say in the late 70s. We live in a time of spiritual midgets. Shame on us. We knew better. 2 Corinthians 10 and 12, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. 2 Corinthians 10 18, For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. Appreciate your good attention this evening. I know that I've said something, and I'm sure I don't have a good set of filters. You would be surprised how sore my tongue is. I have tried to learn political correctness till I am up to here with it. And I think the church is suffering from that. We are so afraid of offending somebody that we pat them on the back and let them go to hell. Sometimes I wonder, we still believe in hell? We still believe it's possible to go to hell? You know, Jesus said, I remember Joe Heisel a few years ago when we lived in Winniewood. My kids will be thinking, whoa, a few years ago. He gave a lesson on faith and he talked about Matthew 23. And over and over there, Jesus said, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. And then he says, you reckon any of them were in the audience? We're so afraid somebody might be here that has a different little view on something that we might offend them and well, they might not come back, or they might this, or they might that, and because of what might happen, then we just afraid to say anything. We're not even good friends, much less good Christians. Good friends don't let friends go to hell. You know, life is not like Facebook. Facebook, everybody goes to heaven. It's not like that. This is real. God's Word is still God's Word or it isn't. And if it isn't, why come ever come? Why not just go on and eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die? But if it is real, if God's Word is still God's Word, it's still going to face us in judgment. Not as we think it and explain it away, but as it is in truth, God's Word. If you're not a Christian tonight and you know that what you need to do to be a Christian, if you are already there, then why not tonight obey? You know what you need to do. Why not do it tonight? If you are a Christian but there's things wrong in your life, you're living in risk of losing something that God says is worth more than all the wealth of the world. How little value we place on our soul sometimes.
or the souls of others. If you're not ready, I would suggest you know exactly why. You don't need someone to come, you know you're doing this and that's wrong. You don't need that. You know it. What do you think about the future? Well, I try not to think about it. Well, that's foolish. Solomon said it's better to go to a mourning, a grieving, than it is to a party because that is the way of all men and the wise will take it to heart. Every time you pass the cemetery, you look out there and think about it, or every time you attend a funeral, that's the way we're all headed. We're all headed that way. If the Lord does not come first, that's going to happen. We can't stop it, but we can prepare for it. You want the peace that passes all understanding? You've got to be ready for judgment. Because if you're not, I don't care how many pills you take, I don't care what you do, what you exercise, I don't care what success you do, how you do to take your mind off of it and busy yourself in other things, you'll not help her because every now and then it's going to come to your mind. I'm not ready. I hope it's not today. You don't have to leave here with that. You can get rid of it tonight. Repent of it. Confess it to God. Through prayer, be forgiven and leave here with that peace that only God can give. We can help. Always stand, always stand.